First, you must realize that you have no idea before you can know the idea. We scan across all the frequencies if we want to learn anything new. Let us begin. What has physics done for me lately? Furthermore, the equation E is equal we have now acquired a fateful power to alter and to destroy nature. That's like when you're in physics and you get a dream about saying, Oh, this is a physics excursion. What is it all about? The whole of human history all falls in the dust of one stroke of the nail file. You can't really get to grips with evolution unless you realize uh, what an enormous amount of time. Our own planet is only a tiny part of the vast cosmic tapestry, a starry fabric of worlds yet untold. You're tuned in to what can only be described as the best radio station on this blue dot we call Earth. It is, of course, for triple Z, bid on your conventional wireless radio by tuning into the classic frequency of 102.1 FM, digital devices such as DAB or smart speaker, listening via the Community Radio Plus app or streaming us live from our sensational website at 4zzzz.org.au. And, of course, you can always listen back to us or any 4ZZZ show, for that matter, using the ingenious on-demand feature also found at that URL. We also now have a weekly podcast of the show for your listening pleasure, a condensed version of the show without the music, which my mum prefers. Just search for our show name, which is, of course, No Idea, spelt with a K, your weekly dose of science. And joining me today to speak about all things science are some of my favourite science communicators. May I please welcome, via a streaming platform, (laughs) the prolific Peter. And the gregarious Hello. Gabe. Good morning. Morning. Last show of 2023 for no idea. If you are tuning in, hello and thank you for tuning in with mm. us on what I'm sure is just a very lazy holiday for most people tuning in. Hopefully it is for you yeah. tuning in. We're sort of gearing up for a whole nother year of no idea. So this show, we've got some of your usual favourites. We're going to do some weird science. We're going to do some... Uh, marine science and then max i'm going to take us back through the archive of some of my favorite sounds science scientific sounds that came mm. out from the year Wonderful. from you know all sorts of stuff from those the echidnas that we found making sound for the first time <laughs> the courtship of drosophila fruit flies the yeah. fin whales that were recorded with fiber optic cables over in in uh, the, the north atlantic and around finland yes all sorts of stuff i've got lined up i'm not going to get time to all, for, to go through all of it so i might put some polls out there to see if there's any preferences on what we want to go through but i've got some i've got some group together and some we're going to go through some highlights cool. from the year of the best okay. sounds from science in 2023 sounds good anyway you tune into 4ZZZ and the show is no idea with me max peter and gabe and it's about this time that we do a bit of this What do you got first, Gabe? Oh, I'm going first. Am I? Okay, here we go. Uh, <laughs> what I've got for you is a tiny little frog in Indonesia that has just been discovered and has fangs, Max. Two little fangs, I think, on its lower jaw. Why They're- is it so cute <laughs> in my head? Oh, my God. <laughs> a little fanged <laughs> frog. Vampire uh, frog. They s- nice. Sorry? Vampire frog? 
Vampire frog? What are they called? No, it's not called that. They're called oh, something else. Oh, missed opportunity. Mm. They, uh, yeah, they have two bony fangs that jut out of their lower jawbone. Mm. Uh, there's a range of these that have been discovered. Uh, so they have an underbite? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> That's so cute. It's a group of these frogs that have been found. They, a, a group of uh, researchers from uh, the UK and from Indonesia went to Sulawesi, which is a rugged island that's, that's part of Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Uh Huge network of different ecosystems, mountains, volcanoes, rainforests, cloud forests, all sorts of stuff. What they realized in one of these expeditions, though, was that they found frog eggs on the underside of leaves, which is not where you're supposed to find frog eggs. Frog eggs are something that are supposed to be in the water. Frogs are amphibians in large part because they haven't, most frogs haven't been able to remove that dependency on water to lay their eggs in. They still need that moisture. For, from the water to keep their eggs all right uh, and to stop them drying out. But they've seemed to have discovered a way around it by putting them into a gel and putting them on the ba- bottom of leaves and they found these small frogs tending to the eggs. They were all male frogs that were tending to the eggs uh, and keeping them uh, wet enough as well as keeping them bacteria-free, presumably. Uh, and then, yeah, they realised there were these tiny little frogs that have fangs. They're the first, the smallest type of this frog, these fanged frogs that have been found, they say... They are about the size of a small coin at their biggest. Uh, and and oh they're God. not sure why they still have fangs. They, they may actually be too small for the fangs to be of any use to them. So I mm. love frogs when they get small. They just seem to lose a lot of their ecological functions. It's really <laughs> beautiful little things. M frog need nothing else because the frog. <laughs> the bigger ones of these, they use the, the males in particular use the fangs to sort of fight over space and mates. So it's a competition thing within the species. Uh, but these ones are so small and they, they've also detached themselves from the water where space is at a premium. So they're like, well, it's probably very low competition for trees in a forest for a <laughs> tiny little frog. So they may just have little fangs that are sort of almost vestigial at this point. They don't really serve a purpose, but they've got some evolutionary history. They're so they haven't pro- properly gotten rid of them yet. But that is my weird science, Max. Some fanged frogs, mini fang frogs from Indonesia. Thank you. Now, thank you. Mine <laughs> comes from MIT. You got to know the QS ranking of MIT, don't you? It's one, two. Or two, right? No, it's one. Cambridge is two. Oh crap! <laughs> Every time. Oh. Anyway, they developed an ingestible capsule that vibrates within the stomach. These vibrations activate the same stretch receptors that sense when the stomach is distended, creating the sense of fullness. In animals who were given the pill 20 minutes before eating, the researchers found that the pill not only stimulated the release of hormones that signal satiety, but also reduced the animal's food intake by around 40%. Scientists have much more to learn about the mechanisms that influence human body weight, but if further research suggests this technology could be safely used in humans, such a pill might offer a non-invasive way to treat obesity. So when the isn't this like hey? though, where it only lasted a day and then you get <laughs> <finished> <laughs> that's the kicker. Hey, we had oh. this before. <laughs> I don't know about that. That, that, that was te- I mean, checking on the heart if your heart stopped or not. But this is. This I mean, is, I can't imagine they figured out a different thing <laughs> <laughs> in a pill that goes into your intestines. <laughs> like what? <laughs> anyway, it's going in the exact place you're sleeping. <laughs> so, and it only lasts, you know, a, a day or whatever. And apparently, the the battery in it—it's a little silver, a small silver oxide battery. It only lasts for about thirty minutes once it hits the stomach, and then oh, it's it's sweet. game over. <laughs> so you have to take a tablet, basically a pill, twenty minutes beforehand before you have a meal. 
but it could reduce your intake to about 40% of your normal food intake, which would help with obesity. But they've only tested in animals at the moment. So the researchers want to explore ways to scale it up to manufacturing so the capsules can be used in clinical oh, trials in humans. It. We're just going straight to manufacturing. <laughs> yes. Sweet. Cool. Yeah, none you of know, this. It's, not, none of this it's definitely stuff. less invasive than having your stomach <laughs> shrunk, but I feel like people who have to dig around in their feces right. to get it out probably hmm. may argue that point. Yes, yeah, right. Or we could use just a non-medical intervention such as just uh, watching your diet and exercising. You know, that always works. But anyway, that's my weird science curtailed you, by Phil. Peter. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Max here with not medical advice. We're going to stress that. That's right. What is the independent variable that makes no idea tick? That's what I want to mm. know. You tune into 4 Z, and the show is No Idea, your weekly dose of science with me, Max, Peter, Gabe, and we're going to do a bit of marine science. Mm-hmm. What do you got for us, Peter? Okay, so I'm going to quiz you guys first because this is something I'm genuinely interested in. How do you, when you imagine the seafloor, what do you imagine? Just sand. Just like sand everywhere from and, sand? And some volcanoes, I guess, under there. Mm. <laughs> some rocky bits. Yeah. I feel like the rocky bits mm. would get covered by sand mm. pretty quickly, unless it's, yeah, active volcano-y. Yeah. Bit of reefy stuff yeah. that probably stops when the light stops. Yes, that's it. And then, well, this has got to be rocks on the big, like, cavern bits, like mm. the big trenches and things, because mm. all the sand would fall off. Some, so mainly some, sand, some, some broken, some, cliffy, sand, some rock rocks. is what some we're broken submarine yeah. bits, and then yeah, yeah that's broken fair. sub, <laughs> a couple of ships, okay. treasure. Okay, we and can a wrap it up. <laughs> okay, well, yep, fair. So Carcass. Yeah, right. I asked this question to people a lot because a little while ago, I actually, I, I guess I just didn't realize this, but it seems like a lot of people think the seafloor is kind of like the same everywhere Mm. like it's just unanimous across the globe and i just find that really fascinating i I just i'd never thought of that before because in reality the ocean is about as diverse and different as land is about we've got mountains we've got valleys we've got sand we have not sand we even have lakes underwater that people of like denser water that sits underneath so in reality the seafloor is a multi that's not a real word i was going to say multipolis that's Wonderful, great new word for the ocean because it's so different and diverse. And the weird thing is, though, you're kind of right. There's a lot of sand on the seafloor. I mean, it goes everywhere. There is probably more rock than you're imagining and Mm. more silt and different types of sediment and sponges and things. But there is a lot of sand. And sand is interesting because, as we've seen in the small places it is on land, it kind of just moves around and it creates these weird little sculptures and things. One of the fields that studies this is called geomorphology and it's basically like looking at the shapes of rocks and trying to figure out why they are that shape. And one of the things this study looks at is sand because the shape of sand can tell you so much. But the thing is, with under the sea, we haven't really actually as a human race accepted the fact that it is changing and different and varied for a very long time. So we don't know much about the geomorphology of the seafloor. Like... Yes, we've now technically mapped the entire seafloor, but that's at a very broad distance. All these little changes and what they mean are still very much a mystery to us. And last week, we actually stepped a little bit closer to the origin of millions of mysterious pits in the ocean. So, Mm -hmm. kind of exciting. I mean, it depends on what your uh, definition of is of exciting is, but to yeah. me it's a little bit exciting. When I hear pits, so, I just think of Grand Prix, but that's all right. 
Oh, interesting. I thought of armpits. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or like Tartarus, the ancient Greek pit. But anyway, <laughs> lots of different pits in the world. Now we're talking about ones in sand under the water. Beautiful. So there are loads of like pits and divots in the ocean. You know, they're like everywhere. It's like the moon or anywhere, honestly, has pits and divots. It's just how the world works. But one specific kind is called pockmarks. And they're sort of like crater-shaped and fields of them just pop up all over the world's oceans. They're sort of like an inverted, spread-out mogul field, just everywhere. And there are like thousands of these in the North Sea alone, which is why Dr. Jens Schneider von Diemling hmm. from Kiel University, QS ranking. Uh, A2. It's actually 500 to <laughs> So it's in a range. Oh, yeah, yeah, they got to the range area, but yeah. that's cool. We don't know about Dr. Jens Schneider von Diemling. He sounds pretty smart to me. He does. He started to study these pockmarks because he had a theory that the currently accepted theory was wrong. Hmm. So let's dive into that a little bit. The prevailing theory is that these craters have been formed by hydrate gases like methane escaping from below the sediment. Okay. And that does make sense, right? Because, like, they're commonly found above gas hydrate zones and there's plenty of physics I don't feel like going into that agrees that pockmarks could totally come from this. But the thing, I think the sticking point for Dr. Jens is that there's lots of pock of these pits currently labelled as pockmarks that aren't above gas fields and actually look different. Like, they're shallow and they're not conical. So they, they just kind of look like a different thing. And in geomorphology, shape is everything. Shape mm. is the thing. So he was like, all right, let's, I think that's something I've got to figure out. Is what it the it shape is. of a shark? No, that would be spectacular. <laughs> if you went down there were just fields the, of like the resting shark sharks. indentations <laughs> on the floor. I think at that point we might just assume there were invisible sharks. That's I right. don't think yeah. the next best thing is be like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> Let's move along. Uh, so, but you're nearly on the nose because mm. they think that they're made from porpoises. Oh, oh. There you yeah, go, man. Yeah. Solid. <laughs> yeah. I want to be clear here. They're not in the shape of porpoises. They're just sort of like crescenty shaped mm. divots. But they think they're made on porpoise. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, actually, no, they're not on porpoise. <laughs> oh. I had to get the pun in there and I completely forgot what I was talking about. They're not on porpoise. Basically, mm. they're as popular as sand eels are with humans, they're actually a much, the dolphins are much bigger fans of them as food. We eat a lot of sand eels. They eat more. Mm. Well, per capita. Anyway, <laughs> so they go into these areas where there are sand eels and they sort of just like dig their noses into the sand to pull them out. And essentially, the team from Kiel has said that what happens is they make a little divot with their nose and then they get the eel and move along. Or maybe they don't get the eel, but they move along. And after that point, what happens is that the prevailing currents just sort of pick up on that divot and make it larger and larger and larger. And so these Fields of craters are actually just tiny little divots made by porpoises Searching that prevailing currents make Fantastic. bigger over time. Yeah. yeah, it's just like a stone in a river, but throughout the ocean. And, like, personally, I wouldn't say that this specifics of this are very revolutionary. Like, animal makes divot, water makes divot bigger, like, isn't a huge revelation. Yeah, I mean, who hasn't stu stood in a wave on a beach and just stood there while the wave washes the water around and be like, wow, look at the hole I made. Yeah. <laughs> Literally toddlers have figured this out. you got to like, get out more, Gabe. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Gabe, easily entertained. Uh, but the team at Kiel are actually so confident about, the, this, about this finding 
they think it's relevant for millions of pits around the world that they say have been miscategorized mm. as pockmarks. So it's kind of cool, yeah, but personally, cool. what I'm most excited about is seeing the two camps, pockmark versus pit, battle mm. it out. Yeah. So maybe some of that optic fibre can detect when those dolphins or porpoises are uh, hitting the, uh, the surface, uh, the, the, the ocean floor. Okay, what do you reckon? Could we I repurpose reckon. that? I, I learned that you can hear the difference between different water temperatures when they're poured. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour one after the other mm-hmm. into a different glass and you have to tell me which one is which temperature. I've got a hot and a cold. Mm-hmm. You ready? Yep. Right, here's the first one. Any thoughts? Is this the bodily fluids again? Yeah, I'm saying cold. It sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Is the second one? <laughs> oh! Well played. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday. Oh, man, no idea is going to be on in the middle of the day. Oh, man, my favourite science show. 4 triple Z. You tune into 4 triple Z, and the show is No Idea with me, Max, Peter, and Gabe. And we're going to play a few sounds, Gabe. We're going to get into some sounds, Max. I've got some stuff for later in the show about some of my top favourites. I've got two for about courtship and then I've got a, a couple about some courtship. clever animals. <laughs> yeah, the, the echidnas and the fruit flies. Yes. Uh, but now we're going to go off what we just heard from Peter about the, the pot marks and the dolphin marks. In the, at mm. the bottom of the ocean. Uh, and Max, you mentioned the fibre optic cables that we talked about this year. And I think this to me is the story that I tell people about most from this year. Really? This is the one. Most yeah, exciting I think one? I, this is the one I've found myself talking about the most. It's mm. the one that is has the most, it's just an amazing story. of To of repurpose some, something that's already out there. Yeah. Right, and just it's just pure ingenuity on and the possibilities. figuring this yes. out. Yeah. If you haven't tuned into it, the basic idea is fibre optic cables. They are the things that that connect up the internet and much more around the world. There are 1.4 million kilometres of the stuff all around the ocean floor. Obviously, different amounts in different areas, but it wraps around the earth 35 times, and you probably still have enough to tie a little bow in it. At the end sharks if you'd like delight. To. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, sharks do bite sharks into them, have, them, have a chomp yeah. of them every now and then. When they're not doing that, uh, there's there's untapped gold mine basically of of surveying what's happening mm. beneath the ocean uh, all around us and on land because what we learned a few weeks ago is that they, another study came out where they'd done the same thing with cicadas on land that mm. I'm about to tell you about, which was that in 2022, uh, 2020, sorry, um, some what? scientists at Norwegian Uni of Science and Tech, QS ranking? Oh. 382. Yeah, I'm going 185. You misread it, Peter. It's 352. <laughs> I didn't read it. I didn't read it. That's the closest I've ever been. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah, they sent some laser pulses down fibre optic cables uh, in a bit of Nor- the Norwegian archipelago. And, and what they're basically doing is collecting backscatter for 24, 24-7, 40 days. They got 250 terabytes of, of data, which was backscatter light. When they sent that laser pulse down... They have a thing that can sense backscatter. Anytime that laser pulse hits an imperfection in mm. the fiber optic cable, mm. which can be anything from like a kink in it, a shark chomping on it, or sound waves that are loud enough or close enough hitting it, you get a degree of backscatter. And if you measure how that backscatter changes through time, you can actually get a feel for not just that there is something happening somewhere on that massive spread of fiber optic cable, but you can pinpoint where it's happening. That's it. You can pinpoint for sounds, the frequency. If you know how loud the sound should be, like you know if a whale calls is usually 120 decibels and you're picking up this frequency, you're getting like, well, it must be about this far away. And you can work out what direction it's from. It's almost like a 3D representation of what's happening down there. That's how I Mm -hmm. understand it. In in sound. In sound, yeah. In sound. And and it, 
it is incredible stuff that they managed to do. And what I've, I've got for you, the clip, which is, I think, possibly the clip of the year, is, is the recreation of a fin whale call as they were tracking these fin whales along fibre optic cables. That is not a microphone anywhere involved in that. That is someone sending lasers down a fibre optic cable and reconstructing the light backscatter that comes back into us in a sound frequency that you can make into this, which I think is pretty damn cool, Max, and is mm. by far one of the best stories we've had this year. Like I mentioned, they did the same thing with cicadas a little later on this year. They put the paper out that they managed to track cicadas on the land because they're so loud in the States. They did this huge, like, eight-year massive boom so they could detect where it was happening. Amazing piece of research mm. and one of my favourite stories. I'm going to throw it back to you, Max, because that is all. <laughs> that's the best. I think that's the best story we've ever I done on this show. That's an automatic highlight reel for the end Gabe, of this year. Gabe, yeah. Outdone yourself. <laughs> outdone yourself, Gabe. That was really good. You're tuned into 4 Z, and the show is No Idea with me, Max, Peter and Gabe. And I thought we'd play a rebroadcast. Is that what we term it these days? Of mm -hmm. something that Jay brought to the table. Sadly, Jay's working hard at the ABC this morning's getting the news ready, etc., etc. So he couldn't be here. But I thought we'd play a pre-record. What do you think, Gabe, of the AI music article? Were you here yeah. for that one? I was, and it, I think this was another one of our best from the year. Mm. This AI music article because it's like it's something that I think has has. Not been brought up for the first time this year, but has been forced into our face for the first time this year. The, the actual real possibility of AI music sort of taking over a little bit and AI everything generated taking over AI a little everything. Bit. It's basically... It, it, yeah. 2023 has been AI everything, hasn't it, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, this was Jay's piece on the role of, of music and ownership and everything gets wrapped up in that when you start putting AI into tune-making programs. And I asked Jay to look into this new AI writing music. Yeah, apparently I'm just the AI reporter now. <laughs> and Max has decided, instead yeah. of letting me choose my stories every week, he's just going to send me a text and be like... New story came out. <laughs> but Please cover it. That's <laughs> yeah, right. Text, that's why I didn't have over. a weird science. Yeah, that's right. It was in protest of this. It's all Max's fault. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Yes, I am the puppet master. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine because I enjoy talking about AI. Well, I don't. Well, I've been forced into it, so I enjoy it. We've heard about AI art and AI writing, ChatGBT, and all those open AI different things. The natural next progression is, of course, AI music. We'll have our, all our jobs gone. Mm. <laughs> this radio show will absolutely be run by AI in a couple of years. Mm, that's right. <laughs> Who says it already isn't? <laughs> 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 the listeners don't know, that's for sure. Yes. Mm. If you're like me, the first thing that you're worried about is what about the copyright? Because that's what comes up for me with all the writing and all the art stuff. You know, we've had so many stories of people having personal stuff taken and like all the ethical considerations that comes into that this paper was released by google another mm. notably famously ethical company mm. Mm. who say that the model was trained off unlabeled music we had a bit of a debate over mm. what exactly that might mean um but we settled on it being non-copyrighted like, yeah. you know, anyone yeah. who works in, like, audio or media knows when you, like, 
have CC, like all baby. those yeah all those YouTube videos that come up that are like unlabeled free hip hop music yeah. Kevin yeah. McLeod is my hero yeah absolutely so it seems to have been trained off of that so that's cool but what exactly can it do basically it generates music based off text prompts and they can be really complicated text prompts and they can be multiple sentences long and describe a whole bunch of things it can also be in story mode, which is where you can ask for the piece of music to follow several different s- prompts Ooh. over like a period of time. So like for the first 10 seconds, it sounds like this. For the next 10 seconds, it sounds like this. So you can sort of change it up without having to generate multiple prompts and stitch them together. Yeah, That's you can see them using that in a movie score. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You're like yeah. a journey or a narrative. Yeah. If you're unsatisfied with that, you can actually hum or whistle and upload that and then use the text. Shazam it. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Isn't that reverse Shazam? <laughs> basically. Um, so you can, yeah. like, hum something and then be like, oh, the thing that I just uploaded, do that in, like, a jazz style with right. lots of banjo. How specific <laughs> can you get? Like, if I said I wanted a B-flat minor 4-4-169 tempo with, you know, a to upbeat or whatever if i used better musical lingo than that that was pretty good thank you i did do music theory for like four years okay so that's actually really sad that's the best i've got but (laughs) off the top of my head could you get really specific with it and basically write with your language like exactly what you want a song to be and then it writes it i don't see why not so the 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 mm. paper and the examples that they released were a lot more colourful. Mm. So they were just sort of showing off the way that it reacts to text prompts about just describing things. If it can do that, I don't see why it couldn't interpret music theory. So could we get it to write a backing track to this show? Oh. <laughs> well, that's what, I, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to find this thing and write up a no idea, interesting and all that sort of stuff. But they're not actually, it's not actually open to play around with yet. Oh. I know it's annoying. Oh. Coming soon to you. Yeah. <laughs> they just have lots of pre-recorded examples and it's yeah. showing off some of the things it can do. So some of it are like really rich captions. We'll play a couple in a second. Some of it is by putting in exact instruments that you want and the sort of vibe that you want. Some of it is by describing a painting and then having music generated off that. So I could say I would like the Starry Night played by a vibra slap. Yes, exactly. Oh my God, I want to do it so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the other things they did was show off they can do genres by typing in like, yeah, what kinds of music, musician experience level. So you could be like this thing played by a beginner piano player is the example (gasps) they have which i think is a way to cheat on music exams if you're homeschooled when i was homeschooled because i was Mm. a lot of it is like oh just upload videos that's how we did pe by the way (laughs) really yeah i'm so serious if you do pe and you're a homeschooled kid you have to go out to a basketball court and set up a camera and film yourself playing basketball so that they know that you did kidding it's pretty wild so i could see you know someone typing in like oh someone who's only been playing piano for two years (laughs) (laughs) follow this assignment prompt upload mp3 perfect job done (laughs) recorder (laughs) three blind mice (laughs) (laughs) they have music generated based off places so they have like beach in the caribbean's escaping prison gym opera sorry (laughs) sorry <laughs> escaping prison is one of the generations that, yeah, that Google is. What does escaping prison sound like? ACDC. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> um, for, for my friend June, if you're listening, they have a whole thing 
for accordion solos. Ooh, accordion nice. death metal, accordion EDM, <laughs> accordion piano, accordion rap. rock and techno so yeah you could play around on this thing forever i'm not gonna um keep just describing all the stuff that they did let's have a listen to some of it so they do say that this model is better than all previous models because it adheres more strongly to the text prompt all the way through and it can go for longer without losing quality or sort of getting Mm. off track which we know is a problem with ai yeah often like you're like generate this and it's like cool for the first couple sentences and then it's just like whoa where did that go that's really existential yeah okay so max i reckon let's listen to a fusion of reggae and electronic dance music which one's that what number do you know it's the second one oh second one yep with a spacey otherworldly sound induces the experience of being lost in space yes and the music (laughs) would be designed to evoke a sense of wonder and awe while being danceable I want you guys to choose the next one that we listen to. Ooh, okay, Would okay. you like to listen to a choir singing a Gregorian chant and a drum machine? Yes. Um, <laughs> that one. The slow sounds of strings provide a calming backdrop for the fast, complex sounds of futuristic electronic music. Oh, Love the prompt. Want choice. the choir. I want the Gregorian chant with the beat. The other one is an R&B hip-hop Ooh. piece with uh, male vocal rapping and female vocal singing could be used in a high school drama. I'm curious <gasps> about the rapping and singing. Like, are there actual right? words? Yeah, I also I'm very curious about high school drama because yeah. I've done high school drama <laughs> and I know the quality. Okay, Max, can we squeeze in both? Okay. I know we don't have much time. Give me the numbers. Um, okay, so 10 is the Gregorian chant. Let's do that. Let's Thank do you. Sure. <laughs> and seven for the R and B rap piece. Let's do it. It's awesome. What do you think? You tuned into Four Triple Z, and the show is no idea with me, Max, Peter, and Gabe. And it's time for a bit of this. It's Max. 
Okay, it's time for the best part of the show. Loosely defined as science, yeah, you already know. Everybody listens to 4 Triple Z just to hear us talking about what Buzz just did. Subscriptions just keep rolling like the tires on a car. But something tells me that our science careers won't go far. But unlike an engine, I will keep you in suspension. We're all here to hear him talk, so let's give him attention. You're not ready for when he starts rapping. Gonna hand that mic to Max, and I'm not talking Van Staffen. Lights out, and away we go. Moto GP guy. Yeah. Aussie Jack Miller says he's confident that the 2024 will be KTM's year to shine. He admits the 2023 bike did have its shortcomings, uh, but he feels it should be all sorted before the 2024 season starts, which is on the 8th of March in Qatar. Now, what do you reckon? We're going to sum up Jack Miller's year? Uh, Sure. Uh, uh, the summary of of most of the races that Jack Miller has raced this year and most years is starts uh, <laughs> qualifies in a promising position, yes. often top five. Uh, usually, will make up a few places in the opening laps to the first half or so of the race. Uh, then will gradually slide back because he's used up all of his tyres or fall off the bike altogether and or both. finish <laughs> in uh, what about eighth overall in the competition possibly yeah what did he finish i think he finished 11th in the competition this year yeah anyway so hopefully the bike's a bit better and doesn't burn up its tires as much as this year f1 he was 11th max you got it right cool cool. Uh, to be fair he's he's fantastic like when he's on fire he's yeah, one of the yeah. best riders out there yeah uh, it's just painful as an australian watching him <laughs> and constantly having your hopes raised and thrown into the trash again <laughs> F1, Formula 1, impossibly a first. No changes to the driver lineup for the 2024 season. Yeah, to the disappointment of every F1 media pundit out there mm. because the silly season of F1 is often there where they get all their clicks and all of their rubbish put out. Uh, and they didn't get anything. Yeah, no change. Because the there whole, the whole uh, musical chairs of Formula One of them, tr- drivers changing teams, contracts ending, new drivers coming in, drivers retiring, becomes the biggest story. Usually eclipses the actual racing itself, mm. uh, for better or for worse, and m- most of it's probably for worse. But it's uh, a lot of fun if you just like following F1 for a sport, adds more of a spectacle. And we got nothing this year. Same yeah. 20 drivers for next year, which comes as a bit of a surprise Make because there were... Uh, some outliers. Less than, yeah, that's a good word, Max. There were some outliers towards the back of the field this year. Uh, one of them didn't make it through the season, to be fair. Got switched out for Daniel Ricciardo partway mm. through. Nick DeVries, one of the newbies, probably yeah. got a bit hard done by. But yeah, no silly season next year. So next year, so it's the exact same driver lineup you yeah. got familiar to this year. Well, the main driver we were thinking that might get swapped out was Logan Sargent, who drives for Williams. Mm. But the Williams team came out recently and said, hey, we're better off knowing the devil. You know, the devil we know is way better than <laughs> <laughs> betting in a new rookie driver who wouldn't know how to drive the Williams car anyway. I mean, that's uh, how you've had stayed on this show for so many years. And finally, the Valtteri Bottas and Roman Grosjean report. On an honorary Australian, Valtteri Bottas, has been shopping in Adelaide. He's over in Adelaide at the moment, Kate. Okay? He's also been setting up a new wine company called Ihana, mm-hmm. which means lovely or wonderful in Finnish. So Bodas commented, the more I learn, and he's referring to the wine industry now, the more interesting it becomes. I always had this vision that I would be involved with wine somehow and not just investing. It's my passion. 
In Australia, you can get these super full-bodied, straight-in-your-face kinds of wines, but this one has a bit more elegance. Obviously, it's, it's a wine obsession, something you want in a professional <laughs> He says, although it's young, it will uh, develop into a nice wine eventually. So we've got to get some of that cool. Ihana wine into us. We haven't, we haven't even had the DR3 yet from Daniel Ricciardo's uh, wine, no. which he was doing with Hugo, Hugo Wines. Yeah. What is happening? I don't know. Well, they've got, uh, they got all those millions of dollars and they've sort of got to divest. Got to burn it or something. <laughs> better things. <laughs> have way better things. Meanwhile, the Phoenix, Roman Grosjean, has posted a video of him flying his twin-engined aircraft. See? You could also burn it on flying miniature <laughs> aircraft. <laughs> and it was quite interesting because it was a very cloudy day and it seemed to be a lot of wind and he had a lot of, a lot of lock on the, on the steering wheel. <laughs> Trying to get it to take off, so it was drifting to the, I think to the left, and they had to full lock right to try and get it into the air. But that was interesting to see. Anyway, we will get to see him race in IndyCar at the streets of Saint Petersburg on March 10 next year. And that is it for the motor wrap. Unless you've got something, Peter. Oh, I have so much to say about fast cars <laughs> and nothing to say about science. That's why I'm here on the show. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, you should be worried, Max, because if we if we get a robot that just sits there and laughs, you're basically obsolete. Oh, it's just You tune into four triple Z, and the show is no idea. Your weekly dose of science with me, Max, Gabe, and Peter, and we thought why not hand the show over to Gabe and. To explain wait, some more highlights, go. Some more highlights, Max. Basically, I'm going to do a little wrap up now of my favorite animal sounds from the scientific world in 2023. We've the covered no idea wrapped, the no idea wrapped, exactly. Uh, and this is the animal segment because we covered so many stories this year of different animal calls and so many different just sounds that were going on that are so much fun to play out over the radio. Plants were discovered to make noises as they grow for the first time uh the the there were sounds that were recorded beneath the soil for and uh, provided like ecological insights into what was going on in the health of that landscape by sticking a microphone under the soil eco radio had that researcher on uh, to talk about some of that soil research from memory right after our show like a few weeks later yes uh, there's been so much out there i wanted to bring five of my favorites to the table you ready? Yes. We're going to run through these real quick. My cool. favourite animal no, no stories. No particular order or? Uh, um, Some order. Least, maybe le- slight least to most favourite. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow, so specific. <laughs> Started off with this paper that was some of the first research we ever had on how crocs communicate with each other using sound. We know they've, they use a lot of different sounds, but mm. we didn't really know how it works. This discovered that there is a combination that they use and it's sort of ramping up how it's aggression. It's aggression between two different crocodiles is usually how it's displayed. It's a growling, slapping. Here's the growl. Here's a a bit of a a splash. And then here's a big tail splash. This one's going to be pretty loud. Different ways that crocs communicate with each other. We also talked about uh, some some palm cockatoos up in the top of the Cape, up and right right up in the north of the country, as well as in um, across the pond in, in Papua New Guinea. The palm cockatoos use sticks to drum, which we've known for a while now. But what they discovered this year was that the sticks they use are actually really specifically crafted by each individual male palm cockatoo. 
to to woo in females and it's to the point where the, they spend ages like cut off a branch or pick up a seed pod and they'll whittle it down so to get the sound that they want to hear so that when the female comes they're, pro- they're providing a song that they think is going to be attractive to the female but it's also unique to them and it got to the point where the researchers were able to identify which palm cockatoos they were studying because they could hear the drumming and knew bet- between like the sound of the drum and the rhythm they were drumming at they knew which palm cockatoo they were hearing mm. making the drumming call so this is the stick uh, using a stick to drum Yeah, not and the best rhythm, not in my the, opinion. Mm, yeah, could yeah, be better, Yeah, the right? tempo's real off. Mm. Yeah, well, we'll try out you this one You wouldn't be attracted, pod. Peter, is that what you're saying? Or? That, yeah, that makes my skin crawl. <laughs> Please keep a good tempo. Let's keep on the beat. Let's try out the seed potter. Mm. Better? Much better. Better, the Seed okay. potter's got my attention. And now you're going to get the full dance from another male palm cocker too, using a stick to drum out a beat as it calls and displays all of its beautiful black and red feathers. What do we think? Better. It's yeah. almost intentional. Like it's it feels like it's close enough to a rhythm that it's doing <laughs> it intentionally, you know what I mean? I like the <laughs> so I like the addition of uh pitch as well mm. as straight up rhythm. So um, my take I'll out here... I'll give it like a 7 out of 10. ...is that they're, they're doomed, that's all, as a species. Yeah, well, they're not doing well, Max, so maybe that's the reason. <laughs> we also heard from fairy wrens, another bird, Max. We added a bird to your list this year of, of fairy wrens, purple crown fairy wrens to be exact, one of the species that lives in Australia. And they were known to sing to their eggs. And we didn't really know why. And so what these researchers did was record what types of calls the mothers were singing to their eggs and then record whether the eggs were responding. They realised the chicks inside the eggs were responding to a particular call, which is the mother's signature call. And what it led to is they realised the mother had begun teaching its chicks how to call its signature call 10 days before they started hatching so that when they hatched, they already had a bit of an imprinted call so they could locate the mother and so the mother could locate the chicks. I'll give you a a couple of clips of what it sounds like. It's the mother and then the chicks a little bit while later trying to repeat it. So they recorded these. They realised it was the mother calling its signature calls. And what... They have concluded, they're not sure exactly why, but they think the best explanation is that it is a way for these mother birds to imprint that signature call on its chicks before they hatch to avoid cuckoos, which are the birds that will often raid a nest, push out the ones that are in there, lay its own eggs, fly off, and leave the, the mother of the, the purple crown fairy mother to raise its own chicks, uh, which are often many t- times larger than it is is itself and so they think it's a, a way of the mothers having a signature call so if different eggs get laid and different chicks hatch from those of a cuckoo they don't have that call and so the mother knows that it's not its chicks that's the explanation we have at the moment there was two more stories mm-hmm. that i want to get to max Careful. one was both these are my courtship ones that i talked to you about before mm-hmm. uh the, the one of them was in drosophila which are fruit flies, one of the lab rats of the world uh, and something you may have experimented with. If you did bio in high school or at uni, you would have 
Really, probably if you've done played, biology. You've done biology experiments at any point. You've probably played around with fruit flies. They are the, the darling child of a lot of biological research. And this this one in particular was actually trying to learn a bit more about them, which I think is nice, giving back to them a little bit in the pursuit of knowledge. Uh, but <laughs> what they found was that Drosophila have these calls, like these tiny little fruit flies, same sort of things that are buzzing around all your fruit, the, the cherries and the mangoes that are going off on the fruit bowl at the moment. They, they were... Uh, calling to each other and they have this like two types of calls and they use one when they're further away and then one when they're closer and then as they use the as they're approaching and sort of wooing the female they'll blend them a bit together and this is a, a very elevated version it is incredibly quiet it's a very elevated version amplified version of what it sounds like did you get it? wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh. then we have one more Max, which to me was, I think, the best sound of the year, which was the sound of echidnas. We discovered that echidnas make noise this year uh, and we didn't know they did this before. I mean, we knew they like sort of huffed and puffed a bit and scraped through, but, but we didn't know they vocalised before this year. This, these researchers put microphones in and around the burrows of echidnas, put, put the recordings on and found some recordings of echidnas chatting with each other. You'll hear grunts, you'll hear coos, you'll hear some huffs and things, various different types of vocalizations, which we don't really understand the differences between at the moment. But what they did discover was that it only happens during mating season. Some of these recordings would be happening when there's more than one echidna in a burrow or when they're engaging something called a mating train, where there's a female and a bunch of males follow her and sort of play survival of who can follow the female the longest and yeah. uh, the, the winner will, will be the one that mates with the female. So these are all calls that come out of echidnas as they're engaging in, in um, reproduction for the year and wooing mates. That, Max, was my recap of my favourite sounds from the year. We okay. had echidnas, we had drosophila fruit flies, fairy wrens, cuckoo, uh, cockatoos drumming and crocodiles talking to each other. I do. For reference, only two of those were not courtship. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So... A, either animals mainly talk to reproduce, which is a probably a pretty strong theory. It's a good reason to talk. Or Gabe's just obsessed with reproduction. <laughs> That's right. Thank you for that. Now, Peter, remind us about the fish that were farting. Fish that were farting? Oh, I remember this. Sorry, my memory is shot. So <laughs> I've done so many stories over the year, they all blend together. But there was some, I think they were herring, and they used farting for communication, which was interesting because... Fish and gas have this weird sort of relationship. Like, fish use gas, in my opinion. It just immaculately, immaculately. Mm. They've put themselves in a 3D landscape. And unlike birds who decided to use, I don't know, use heaps of energy flapping around trying to fly, they just figured out that if they made more gas, they would float. That is genius. That is absolutely genius. So fish have, like, swim bladders filled with gas. And essentially, these herrings were able to control... Uh, releases of gas from their bodies in bursts that were understandable by other herrings. Amazing, what's that? Didn't you give it, it a term? It, it, what, didn't they have a fa fancy term? Or fast repetitive ticks is what I'm oh, saying. Oh yes, here. FRTs. FRTs. That was the fruits. <laughs> the fruits. I remember reading that. I feel like yeah. I am constantly being bombarded with scientists trying to make fun acronyms. Yes. Constantly. That yeah. one I'll accept. It's. Okay, you know, it gets there. Don't ask NASA. 
Yeah, let's put out a warning now. If you're a scientist and you're thinking, you know what's going to make my paper shine? A really fun acronym. Let's try it out on your friends and family first. If it's not <laughs> FRT or something of that caliber, I don't want to be seeing it in your paper. It's just not funny enough. Like, let's make sure it is actually remarkable before you go making everyone say a 20-letter acronym. Cool? Uh, we cool. We cool. You tuned to 4ZZZ and the show is No Idea with me, Max, Peter and Gabe. And we usually mm-hmm. have a bigger team. We usually have Jay here, Izzy here, V here. So I thought we'd do a rebroadcast of a V and J story, which they're titled Stone Age Venice. Will I take it away? Take it away. V, you and I have been talking a lot about Doctor Who recently. Well, we've been talking about a very particular aspect of Doctor Who recently. Anyway, so in all of that talking about Doctor Who, I decided to go back and watch a few episodes. You mean all the Twelfth Doctor's ones? No. Okay, in fact, I wanted to tell you something that I thought of while watching the Pompeii episode with David Tennant. Yeah, you mean the one where the Twelfth Doctor plays one of the characters. Anyway, so you and I have been talking about Doctor Who a lot and it made me watch the Pompeii episode, which made me think about how much we just don't know about history. There are so many secrets that are lost to time. Just like Pompeii, we'll never get to know exactly what went down on that day, or on any of the days where great civilizations crumbled. It's kind of interesting you say that, Jay, because I was just about to tell you about a paper I read in the journal Science Advances about what people call China's Venice of the Stone Age. Okay, I'm interested already. Go on. So, the paper is the brainchild of a group of scientists hailing from China, the US, and Austria. Before I get into the study itself, though, we'll take you through a bit of a background on the civilization. Liangzhu existed approximately 5,000 years ago. For context, that places it around the same era as ancient Egypt, and two to 3,000 years older than ancient Rome and Greece. It's considered by some to be one of the most technologically advanced Neolithic civilizations in human history, with a major capital city and palaces surrounded by huge inner and outer walls. It also rested on a system of connected waterways, composed of navigable canals and water reservoirs. In 2019, UNESCO designated it as a World Heritage Site. But what you were saying before about ancient civilizations like these is totally right. It's often difficult to discern what exactly brought about their demise. So, before this particular study was conducted, did archaeologists have any theories as to what might be the answer behind the collapse? Absolutely! So, there have been a number of theories floating around, ranging from climactic ones such as flooding, drought or extreme weather events, to socio-political ones like military conflict or changes in the social structure. So, this particular study happens to lend further support to the flood theory, which is the most popular one so far. What makes the flood theory the most popular? Great question! On material from the Liangzhu period, researchers tended to find a thin layer of silt. The silt seemed to come from flood deposits from either a river or the ocean. Archaeologists have toyed with theories like the river flooding or tsunamis caused by coastal typhoons. I love the idea of a bunch of researchers looking at the same thing from different angles and slowly zeroing in on an answer. How did these guys do it? In this case? the researchers analysed rock samples from a cave nearby and ran them through with a radiocarbon dating analysis to find out how old they were. This dating technique can narrow down an answer within an approximately 60-year window, which is phenomenal when we're talking about events thousands of years in the past. 
Through analysing the rock samples, the researchers found out not only their age, but mineral evidence of an extended period of extraordinarily high rain. Using this evidence, the researchers proposed that it was massive monsoon rains, followed by freshwater river flooding, that forced Liangzhu's citizens to flee, rather than marine flooding caused by coastal typhoons. I actually feel kind of sad now, thinking about all those people running to escape from the destruction of their homes. Watching it happen in that Pompeii episode was sad enough, and that's totally fictional. It won't always be fiction, Jay. Modelling done by the non-profit organisation Climate Central shows that by 2100, if we continue with business as usual and reach a 3.5 degree rise, we would lose huge chunks of suburbs like Stones Corner, South Brisbane, Victory Pocket, New Farm, or Fairfield. It really isn't my intention to sound doomerist, but these are really big changes that we're seeing. Much like Liangzhu, Brisbane and countless other places around the world would see the displacement of huge numbers of people. And of course, that displacement would disproportionately affect those disenfranchised by things like border policies or poverty. Luckily, we don't need a time machine to know what's coming for us. And that means we can put pressure on the people in our society as it stands to make changes towards a better future and stop us from becoming the next civilization's tragic Doctor Who episode. I mean, not that I would complain about being a Doctor Who episode. Depending on who the Doctor is, of course. What a beautiful way to tie up the year. It is. Cruzy recommendations on what to vote for for the whole... <laughs> <laughs> you tuned into 4 triple Z. And the show is no idea. With me, Max, Peter, and Gabe. And I was just talking to Gabe. We, could sh- sh- we should all go... Well, I'm going to the Hot 100 at the Trifford come New Year's Day. And Gabe, you're coming up from Sydney with Peter tomorrow. Yep. Driving sure up. Are. So you should be available as long as you don't um, tie one on, I guess, on New Year's Eve, I would say. Sure, Max. What phrase is that? <laughs> it's a very old-fashioned phrase. Interesting. Tie one on. I wouldn't know. I'm very young and cool and hip. <laughs> no idea. Space news. Last one of the year, Max. It what is. have you got? I got something from JAXA with the Japanese aerospace people. Their lander is called Slim. Oh. What do you is that think? An acronym? S- yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, <does> it, is. <laughs> it stands for Smart Lander for Investigating Moon. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Smart Lander for Investigating Moon Shady. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it successfully entered lunar orbit and this was on Christmas Day. A moon landing will be attempted on January 19. And I will say good luck on that because it's never a done deal, as India very well knows. Reaching lunar orbit's relatively easy, but actually having a soft landing on the lunar surface has only been achieved by four countries. Mm. The USA, Russia, formerly known as the USSR, China, and most recently, India. And that happened in August. Mm Mm-hmm. With Vikram's successor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, R.I.P. And then it it went to sleep pretty quickly after that, but that's all right. The Lander Slim is carrying a pair of small rovers. One is called the Lunar Excursion Vehicle Number 1, or LEV-1, which uses a hopping mechanism to get around, while LEV-2 is a baseball-sized spherical rover so I'm thinking Star Wars like BB-8. Yeah, oh, wait, sorry, I got that wrong. Yeah, yeah. the Star Wars one. Yeah, BB-8. <laughs> they both carry cameras and science payloads like thermometers 
and radiation I love monitors. That phrase. Can we come back to that? Science payload. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Just wow. I want to use that in everyday life. What have you got mm. in your backpack? Science payload, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, I'm just going to play a sting here before I talk about the X37B. What happened to the X37A? Well, mm. Mm. then we don't talk about that. Maybe. Asking big questions. <laughs> yeah, there's just a red dot on my head. As I <laughs> 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 so yes, I don't know what happened to the X37A, but the B is about to be launched tomorrow on a Falcon Heavy. So a Falcon Heavy uses the three boosters strapped together. That's how you identify the the three Falcon Nines joined together. Not by its weight. Not by its weight. Well, yes, by its weight, I guess, as well. It will be the X-37B's seventh mission. And X-37B is like a a, a slimmed down, a smaller version of the space shuttle, basically. And it Mm. goes into orbit for a couple of years at a time. So, yeah, pretty impressive sort of bit of kit. But it is a spy plane, so uh, we don't get told oh. what, what the mission's for. And it releases a few sort of secretive oh. satellites and stuff like that. Oh. And the case of 37A gets more intriguing than that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought that was a bit, but... Uh, yeah, ooh. exactly. <laughs> okay, you ready for the Space Force theme? We're going to play the whole lot because Go we on. need to. We play that because Ingenuity, the Mars Mini Chopper, has met met its target of our highest goal, 69 flights, which Izzy was hoping for. So congratulations, Izzy. Well done on predicting 69 flights. And it's still going. It's amazing. I think there was something there was put a on bet. this. There was a bet made. If that only we the show was recorded. <laughs> <laughs> if you're unaware, Ingenuity is the Mars helicopter that NASA launched uh, two two years ago now, right? It mm. landed. Yeah. Uh, and and it was meant to really only do five flights. Proof of concept. Can a drone work on the moon? Um, on the moon. On Mars. Yes. And wow. And <laughs> it hit ten, and they were like, oh, um, we kind of didn't plan to have. Staff on beyond five, but okay, we'll just keep going, I guess. And so they did. And there's been a t- uh, what I what I think is a relatively small team of engineers mm. and associated staff working and on small this budget on a small budget. Yeah. And they have now flown this thing 69 times, which was the upper limit because I think I said 30 max. You uh, said 50, which 50. I thought was unattainable. We had a 40 guest in there. We had we had a 60 guest in there from a, someone with a late entry. And that was me. Yeah. Izzy threw in the, I don't think any of us expected this to come true, but threw in the 69 <laughs> flights. <laughs> and it's hit it. It's amazing. Right? Yeah. So do Christmas we make miracle. new guesses now? <laughs> it's right. I'll have to start again. <laughs> <laughs> Reset. Reset the bet. 188. Uh, okay. I like that number. I'm going for 100. Okay. <sighs> okay. 120. Let's you brought go this big. up and you didn't think about oh, it. Oh, you going, I didn't think about it. Yeah. Why not? 120 is almost right. double. Like, <laughs> good, <laughs> good luck with that. Let's do it. Yeah, okay. Everyone at the station knows uh, which shows the most appreciated. Uncancelable. So yeah, Uncancelable. That's what I love to say about us. <laughs> <laughs> everything we do, everything we say, everything we've ever put online, uncancelable. Yeah. The show is no idea on 4 Triple Z. It's time to sign out. Do it, Gabe. 
Thank you, Max. Thank you, Peter, for your stories this week. And thanks to V and Jay, who also had their pre-records that we played back for you this week. If you want to catch the show, fortunewasair.org.au is where it's stored with all the music, or you can catch it as a podcast without the music on any podcast. So look for no idea. No with the K uh, for Triple Z, and you'll find us there. We'll catch you again next week, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m on a Wednesday morning and I think that's about all we have time for this week and this year, Max. Beautiful. And we'll speak to you next week. See you next year. See you next year. I'm a goddamn marvel of modern science. Science. science.